Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Regular listeners to the program know that these Ministry Watch Extra episodes are usually a chance for us to go deep with some of our editorial partners, or maybe with a newsmaker, as we did last week with Phil Cook. But a couple of weeks ago, we played part one of a three-part interview that my friend and podcaster Dan Burrell did with, well, he did it with me. Dan Burrell is a teaching pastor at Life Fellowship in suburban Charlotte, and he had me on his podcast called Life Talks. We recorded three 20-minute episodes discussing Ministry Watch, our work, why we do what we do, and some of our recent stories. The conversation turned out so well that I asked Dan if I could air them on this podcast, the Ministry Watch podcast. Dan graciously gave us permission to do so. We aired the first episode, as I said, a couple of weeks ago, and today is part two of that conversation. So without further introduction, here's the second of those three episodes. We'll be airing part three soon, probably next week, though we might bounce it based on breaking news. If you're an insider or if you're an outsider looking in, I think if you're going to be honest, you have to say the Western church, the American church, the evangelical church in the United States right now is in some level of crisis, whether it's an identity crisis, a purpose crisis. Uh, and it's not a crisis just necessarily caused by COVID. I think we have bec- we are what we have been becoming. My guest today is Warren Cole Smith, a good friend of mine for uh, two decades now, uh, someone that uh, often we just get together to just, just kind of like sharpen each other, just chat and Almost always, Warren, when we get together, we end up talking about the state of the evangelical church, don't we? We do, yes. We do. So thank you, Warren, for joining us on Life Talks today. My name is Dan Burrell, and I am one of the teaching pastors at Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. And the purpose of our conversation today is going to be kind of freewheeling. And and this is what I love about Warren, because if anybody can talk with more intensity and speed than me, it's Warren. (laughs) So y'all buckle up your seatbelts if you're exercising. You may want to turn down the speed a little bit because we're going to rev you up. We're going to talk about the event. In fact, Warren wrote a book several years ago that was that was great. In fact, I used it in one of the courses I, I, I taught uh, for several years. It's called A Lover's Quarrel with the Evangelical Church. You've, you've, I mean, you've been Southern Baptist. You're cur- currently, you attend a, a, a evangelical Anglican church. Um, you've, you've written for World Magazine, which is a Presbyterian organization. You were part of King's College, which is an evangelical Christian. I mean, you, you've run the gamut of evangelical churches. You've seen them. You've worked with them. You've been a part of apologetics. You've taught for Summit Ministries. Uh, you had your own chain of newspapers uh, uh, across many metropolitan areas here. Uh, you used on Evangelical Press News. Okay, so I'm trying to just kind of cover the base. You, you're an expert on this. Well, I don't know if I'm in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, as the old saying goes. So, yeah, but I've been up the creek and over the hill a few times. All right. So, t- I mean— as we're recording this, it's a J- or February of 2021. We've just gone through an election cycle that was gut-wrenching. The, the evangelical church has aligned itself politically very tightly with the Trump movement. Where are we in terms of, of, of a movement, in, in terms of our effectiveness in our culture, but also for the gospel? 
Well, I think we're in a state of disrepair right now. Um, I, I think that there are um, uh, that we're facing a credibility crisis with the culture at large. I think that there are a lot of non-Christians, um, cynical, secular folks that are looking at us and saying to us that um, some of the things that we've said in the past, we have proven to be false by our own behavior. Mm. Things like character matters. Mm -hmm. Well, we clearly don't believe that Mm -hmm. anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that the evangelical name doesn't really mean anything anymore. It used to be that, you know, that if you were an evangelical, it meant that you believed in the gospel and that you were concerned about sharing it with other people. And I think that the word evangelical to most of the culture now doesn't necessarily mean that. It means that we that you're that you're conservative politically, that you may or may not attend church, that you may or may not believe in the authority of Scripture. And if you say you believe in the authority of Scripture, you don't necessarily behave in ways that communicate that you believe in the authority of Scripture. So I think the evangelical brand, if I may say it this way, is a very uh, fuzzy and cloudy in the eyes of the culture. And I think our own behavior um, you know, is behavior that warrants censure right now. I will also say, though, that the church has been in a bad spot in the past and that Jesus is in the business of redemption and restoration. So I'm not despairing at all. I think Chuck Colson, who I used to work for, used to say that despair is a sin for the Christian, and I truly believe that. But we're in a tough spot. Yeah. Well, I want to play devil's advocate with you at a, on, a, on a couple of levels. You and I see things quite similarly many times, but for the sake of conversation, um, you know, I may I may do that over the as this kind of unfolds. But sure. one of the things I see so much, and this isn't a devil's advocate position, but it it is an observation that that we we kind of compartmentalize. Um, our faith away from our politics at the same time we try to blend it. So and the reason I'm saying that is how many times uh, did when, – when somebody said, well, you say character matters, but you're supporting Donald Trump. And then they say, well, we're not electing a pope. Or we're not electing a preacher. We're electing – or a pastor. We're electing a president. And then they draw that line. And what is the impact that that has – Inside and outside of the church. Well, I think one of the impacts is that it causes people not to trust us. It causes people not to believe our words anymore because we are willing to embrace an idea when it is politically expedient, like character matters. Mm -hmm. But whenever that same idea, those same words stop being politically expedient, we quickly are willing to jettison those very words and that very idea. So it's it's one thing to say, you know, um, we're not electing a pope, but if you're the same guy that, you know, during the previous election cycle said that character matters – uh, then you know. So which is it? It's, it's the old. It's the old lawyer's joke or mm-hmm. the old lawyer's trick, I should say. Are you lying now or were you lying then? Mm. And uh, and I think that that uh, the secular world looking in at the evangelical church has a right to ask that question: Were we lying then or are we lying now? Right. And uh, I, and I think that we don't have a good answer for that question. Either these principles matter and they're true. Or they don't, and if they are true, they're they're true, and we should live by them whenever it is politically expedient for us to do so, 
and when it is not politically expedient for us to do so. A lot of times I get what I call the yeah, but arguments, and I'm sure you've heard them. Yeah, yeah but if we didn't support Trump, we would have had Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton believes it was okay to murder babies. Yeah, but if we didn't support Trump, then uh, the, the party of abortion or the party of uh, gay marriage, the party blah, 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 is, is going to be in power. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And, or yeah, but what they did to us is 100 times worse, and, and so forth. How do you respond to the yeah, buts? Well, the yeah, but, I've heard that called whataboutism mm-hmm. sometimes as well. Uh, the, I, I have two uh, kind of responses of that. One is that um, two wrongs don't make a right, right? In other words, just because Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, choose your favorite progressive demon, behaved in a certain way, that does not give us license to behave in that same way. That two two wrongs do not make a right. That, yes, you're right. They did behave in that way. We rightly condemned that behavior. Mm-hmm. The proper response is not then, therefore, to go and behave that way, too. Right. Mm-hmm. So so that's that's one response Two two wrongs uh, do not make a right. The other. And, and by the way, two wrongs don't make a right. And the second thing that I'm about to say, which is the end does not justify the means. Mm-hmm. These are two principles that I was taught by my mother whenever I was six or seven or eight years right. old. It is ironic and troubling to me that that ma- supposedly mature adult evangelicals who have been raised in the church don't understand these basic principles of ethics and morality, that two wrongs don't make a right, mm-hmm. and that the end does not justify the means. So um, th- th- those are my primary responses, Dan. They sound a little bit simplistic in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're expressions that you have heard before, but they are expressions, they are realities, they're truths about the way we should behave in the public square that unfortunately we've forgotten. Yeah. You know, one of the things, and you and I are near the same age. I like to- I'm a little older than you. Yes, I was going to say, I want to note that you are a tad older than me, not a lot. (laughs) A few years. But we both grew up in the same generation. We grew up in the 60s and 70s. Um, You know, we came of age as adults in the 80s. Uh, The 70s were a, a time of in, in some ways similar, um, there was a lot of panic during the Carter presidency that the American way of life was going to be lost forever. It gave birth to the moral majority. Um, Jerry Falwell, uh, largely responsible, I believe, uh, you know, uh, uh, even an unbiased opinion toward history says that the moral majority, Jerry Falwell's uh, working with the evangelical churches of this country, put Ronald Reagan into office and brought about basically 12 years of conservative of leadership in there. A lot of people who were politically kind of uh, sitting on the sidelines um, got involved during that time, um, post-Vietnam War, post-Watergate, post-Jimmy Carter, post-Cold War, all these different times. And it was evangelical Christians, Christians like you and I, who very much recaptured some of the momentum of the American dream and spirit. What would you say to those who are saying, I just want that again? I'm I'm not looking to set up a theocracy, but America was special because America was a a nation that had, uh, for a time, a godly majority of people who cared about the values that made America unique among countries. And that's all we want again. 
What would you say to them? Well, I have several responses to that. One would be, you know, my dad has an old saying, the older we get, the better we were. (laughs) And I I think there's a lot of truth to that, that sometimes it's easy to be nostalgic about some mythical, you know, date in the past. And while you and I might look at the 80s, Dan, and and view it with some affection, Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you that there are uh, a lot of folks in this country that don't view it with some affection, especially if you go back another 10 or 15 or 20 years to the civil rights era, or maybe another 30 or 40 years to the, you know, maybe the 50s is your era, which was the golden age. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there was a, a, a there are a lot of people of color in this country that don't view the 40s and the 50s as golden eras mm-hmm. in uh, American history. So, number one, I think that we should that we should need to be really, really careful about having sentimentality and nostalgia about the past. Um, and and I think that can go both ways. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about chronological snobbery, mm-hmm. thinking that um, that we today are more advanced than those people, you know, 50 or 100 or 300 years ago. I think that's not true, but I also think that we shouldn't have nostalgia about the past. I would also um, counsel, uh, especially my Christian friends, uh, on Acts chapter 17, where Paul says that this is the moment, this is the place that God in his sovereignty chose for you and I to live, that he has prescribed the boundaries of our dwelling place and the time in which we are to live. So for us to have nostalgia about some time in the past when we think America was great and that we should get that way again, I think that that is just an anti-biblical point of view. God put us here and now to bring glory to him in this space with the gifts and according to the calling that he has placed on each of our lives. I'm energized by that. I'm excited by that. That's one of the things that keeps me from the despair that I said mm-hmm. Christians should not fall into earlier. And um, and I also think that it, it that it guards us against that kind of nostalgia that you were asking me about. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> would you would you say that you sense do you see a rise of Christian nationalism that has been one of the criticisms of the left? Um, I mean, we all saw some of the videos, some of the pictures of the of the uh, assault on Capitol Hill uh, a few weeks ago, where there were people wearing T-shirts with spiritual messages on them, Christian messages on them, carrying Christian flags, holding Bibles, praying on the steps of the Capitol while people were running through, breaking windows, and, and doing all kinds of mischief. Um, and and there have been some who have have feel threatened by what they see as Christian nationalism. Is it is that a legit criticism? You see sense that? Is it overblown? Is it being exploited, the possibility for political purposes? Or what do you sense about that? Well I think my answer to that would be all of the above. I think, you know, I think one of the things that has happened in American culture in the last 20 years in particular is that, or we'll we'll say 10 years, is that number one, social media has grown. You know, the iPhones, these little devices that we now carry around in our back pocket, which has about a thousand times more computing power than, you know, our mm-hmm. astronauts took to the moon whenever mm-hmm. they went to the moon. Um, they, they've changed our lives in, in, a, in a lot of ways. So um, we, we've got now 330 million people in this country. So there's just almost nothing you can say about American life and culture today that is not true. Mm-hmm. at least for some little subset of this world. So is there a rise in Christian nationalism? I think so. Is it being overblown? 
I think so. You know, is it worse than in the past? Uh, it depends, again, on the little tribe. That's another thing that these iPhones and, and um, social media have created. They've created a, a growth in what I call tribalism in this country, that, that we tend to migrate towards our own tribe. We, can, we now have the – there's no Walter Cronkite that's talking to all of the American people today mm-hmm. like there was whenever you and I were kids. Um, today, you can seek out the people who share your point of view. You can live in this little echo chamber, and you can screen out – the people who do not agree with you, and so as as a consequence of that, um, we, you know we we depending upon the little tribe or the little group that you're ta- that you're talking to, then Christian nationalism is a big problem. Christian nationalism doesn't exist. I mean, you know, all of this is true. I think as Christians, what we have to do is that we've got to keep the gospel first, that we've got to understand that our first allegiance needs to be to God, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And secondly, and this is where I think politics can play a role, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Politics, is, I think, an important part of our lives, should be an important part of lives. It just should not be the most important part of our lives. Well, and that's a great segue into in a kind of a direction I wanted to go. Um, I don't even know if you remember this or not, but it was, I think, around 2005, 2006 or so. You had a radio broadcast uh, that, that you hosted uh, from time to time, and you invited me on as a guest. And it was right after I had kind of written an article for one of your publications that basically said, I'm out. I'm out. I was very disillusioned with uh, the Bush administration. Um, I had been part of both the moral majority and the Christian coalition at times. I'd been an activist when I lived in South Florida, and I finally got disgusted with it, and I said, I'm out. And I, I remember two people called me when they read that. Sue Myrick, who was a, a representative uh, in the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives at that time, and and uh, and she basically um, scolded me up one side and down the other. Right. And my good friend, Warren Smith said, I want you to come on my radio broadcast and let's talk about this. Um, have, have your, have, has your view changed about Christian activism? And if, is there a role? And I, you said it as much just a moment ago, but what, what does it look like to be a, a fully devoted follower of Christ and an American today? And, and, and where does politics fit into that? Well, politics does fit in. I don't believe that, uh, first of all, Dan, um, politics at some level, the government at some level, federal, state, local, whatever, uh, is responsible for 20% of the gross national product in this country. Mm. Uh, when you go to the bathroom and flush the commode, and I hate mm-hmm. to be sort of crass about this, you have committed a political act that that water that comes to you is a result of a government authority. Where that water goes whenever it leaves <laughs> your house, you know, that, that water gets cleaned up or not cleaned up based on the, a collective political decision and action. So I would say to Christians who say, you know, I don't want to be a part of politics, that's impossible. The only thing I think that we as Christians have an opportunity to really decide is how are we going to be engaged and involved in politics? And and again, I think that if we let the two great commandments guide the way we think, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, don't do anything or be involved in anything or support anything that is antithetical to that basic idea of bringing glory to God and what's best for the propagation of the gospel, but secondly, loving our neighbors as ourselves. Does it is this truly good for 
uh, our neighbors. And I mean thought through in a fairly holistic way. Um, I, I believe that that is – those should be the principles that guide Christians when they are involved in the public square. So, yeah, I'm in favor of being involved in the public square, but I think that it has to have those guardrails. I would also argue that there, there was a French philosopher named Jacques Ellul. He coined a phrase, the political illusion. And the political illusion is the notion that all problems are political problems, therefore the solutions must necessarily be political solutions. I do not believe that is true. Many of the problems that you and I have been talking about are not fundamentally political problems. They're spiritual problems in our body politic. And I think as Christians, we have a unique opportunity and we have a unique prescription for that problem to bring a spiritual solution, not just political solutions, to this conversation. When we were talking briefly before we we went on um, the air with this podcast, you were mentioning that you're doing some revisions and some updatings of your of your book, which was just an outstanding book. And I would urge people to you can still find copies of it on Amazon, but uh, definitely pick it up when the revision comes out on on a lover's quarrel with the evangelical church. Because you you were writing this as a friend, you were writing this as an insider, uh, but you also didn't pull any punches in it. What are some of the things that, that you're revisiting and, and why did you choose those, those topics? Well, I think that I wrote the book, I published the book in 2009. I wrote, wrote it in 2006, 7, 8, sort of in that time frame. And, you know, time has gone by. There, I, you know, my, my thinking has matured in some ways. I'm about a third of the way through revising it and I'm finding that I'm that I'm changing things on almost every page. Mm. Um, some of them are just more current examples. Um, some of them are um, uh, people that I've read since I wrote the book originally that I think said things better than I said them. So I wanted to quote <laughs> them and, you know, give sort of a, a little more clarity to my thinking and also to reference those folks. So, yeah, I'm um, I'm revising the book and it's been a lot of fun. It's been hard, but it's been a lot of fun. Very good. Well, Warren, thank you so much for joining us today. There's so much more. I'd like to chat with you if you have chan- a chance to join us again for another episode. But um, to, to all of our believers uh, that are listening to this, uh, I, I just want to say this. It is important that we open our minds to conversations about things that make us uncomfortable. It's important for us to consider that there are valid criticisms that we need to consider on the way we execute and conduct our lives. And a refusal to do that sets you up in arrogance for catastrophic consequences. But the the most important are it may limit our witness. And above all, should it not be the goal and the desire of every believer to be a clarion call to the gospel, to repentance through Jesus? Christ to the hope that he provides. So whether we're talking politics or whether we're talking the way we drive, whether we're talking the way we vote or talking how we earn our living, all of those things have ramifications within our Christian life and testimony. I always appreciate having Warren Smith in my my vicinity because I always learn and I'm always provoked into more thinking. I hope you have been too. Thank you so much for joining us today on Life Talks. That brings to a close this episode of the Ministry Watch Extra podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, I hope today's episode gives you a bit of a peek behind the curtain so you can see how and why we do some of the things we do here. To find out more about Ministry Watch, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the About Us button tab at the top of the page. We've recently added a lot of new material there, including our latest financial statements and our statement of faith. A couple of housekeeping items before we go. 
First, Ministry Watch is donor-supported. If you'd like to pitch in to make sure that Ministry Watch remains a viable endeavor, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. But if even a few bucks is too much, hey, I get it. I've been there too. But there is something easy and free you can do to help us out. And that's simply to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for others to find us on search engines. So rating us is a great way for you to help out. And it only takes a few seconds. And by the way, though I can't respond via the podcast app, I do read all the comments there, and they're both encouraging and helpful. So thanks very much. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database, technical, and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'd also like to acknowledge the producer of Dan Burrell's program, Live Talks. His name is Brett Nipper, who provided us with invaluable assistance with this three-part series. So thanks, Britt, very much. I'm Warren Smith, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.